I'll always tell it like it is. That's the bottom line. If you just live in to exist, you want borrowed time. Don't ever let them take your soul. No, no, no. Don't ever let them take your soul. No, no, no. I'll always tell it like it is. That's the bottom line. If you just live in to exist, you want borrowed time. Don't ever let them take your soul. No. You ready? Thank you, Kirby. We're going to leave this part in, too. The Kirby part, we're leaving the Kirby part in. Hey, guys, welcome back to The Bottom Line. This is Jim Wahlberg, and, uh, yeah, we're living in some crazy times right now. We are in the middle of an absolute pandemic. We are quarantined. We are going crazy, stir-crazy. Staying in the house, and uh, but we're back. The bottom line is back, and we are back in a very big and powerful way. Uh, my first guest, post Corona, if you will, is uh, is Dan Snyder from the Netflix documentary series The Pharmacist. And I want to tell you, folks, before I introduce Dan, that. Um, a bunch of people called me, hey, did you see the pharmacist? Did you see the pharmacist? I'm like, no, no. And I'm always, I'm the last to the party all the time. And um, maybe a couple of weeks after about a whole bunch of people and people that I respect were at, was asking me, did I see the pharmacist? And, uh, and finally I sat down, I said, I'll watch one episode and then I'll see where it goes. And maybe I will, maybe I won't, whatever. And I think I watched all the episodes that one night I binged. And uh, immediately what happened to me is that I became, um, I instantly became, uh, I don't want to say a fan because that almost sounds like the wrong thing to say, but um, I, I felt an instant connection with Dan uh, on many different levels. Um, and so we, I watched it. I was moved by it. I told all my friends about it. And then I just went back about my business. And then somebody just mentioned to me, wouldn't it be awesome? In fact, I think it was my director, uh, uh, jokes who said to me, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get the guy from the pharmacist, you keep talking about it. Why don't we just go get him? Let's get him on the show. And, uh, I always seem to think inside that I, I can't get to people for some reason. Like it's, I don't know why I feel that way. Um, but I did, I, I went to three different people from New Orleans and I said to them, Hey, I need to get to this guy from the pharmacist. Can you help me? And, uh, I went to a street guy. I went to, uh, a guy who's politically connected through his son who lives in Africa and, uh, which is a crazy story all in, all in itself. And, and then I went to like a big shot in, uh, in federal law enforcement. And, um, the street guy came back and said, Hey, I got his address. I know where he's at, which, you know, if sure, if I was looking to whack him, that would be great. Uh, <laughs> and then the politician guy came back through his son in Africa. So I get a call from Africa to tell me, Hey, my dad wants to talk to you. Um, here's his phone number in New Orleans. And so I called him and uh, he was like, listen, I tracked him down. I reached out to him. And, uh, and first he said, what a wonderful, what a wonderful man. And then he was like, he really got to talk to you. He's excited. And then I was, I was excited and humbled by that. 
Um, but you know what? We're in the same war. We're in the same battle. We're, we're fighting the same enemy. And, um, yeah, it was nice to know, I think, that, you know, clearly I recognize what he's done because he's done it on such a, on a large scale. But it was really nice and humbling to know that he was aware of who I was and some of the things that I had done. And um, it was a beautiful feeling. And I only wish that we had been able to connect prior to we did an opioid youth summit in new orleans and we had i, I don't know somewhere between five thousand and ten thousand kids in an arena there and uh man what a powerful thing it would have been to have dan there but ladies and gentlemen without further ado my friend dan schneider hey dan how you doing appreciate the and uh, by the way i the feeling is mutual almost everything you said i feel like we're in the trenches together wish we had met sooner I wish I had the notoriety to be able to connect with you. Uh, it didn't happen, but better late than never. So, uh. Yeah, well, listen, it's really great to hear uh, that you are still on the front lines, right? Because, you know, I think this, this, this documentary series was done over a long period of time, right? What was the full sort of scope of time that this thing was shot over? Now, from a story written in a local newspaper about it, Total about four years. Wow. Wow. You know what? The other thing that I just want to say before you even really get into this thing is, is that um, friends of mine who are absolute warriors in this battle with this opioid epidemic, most of whom have had to bury their children. Um, when they found out, I, I put a little post on social media, I think two days ago, that we were going to sit down and have this conversation and they all called me, every one of them. One of them in particular I spoke to today, my friend Cheryl Joare from Team Shearing, uh, which is a national organization, and, and Cheryl is a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, and she said, listen, I kind of know Dan. We know each other sort of on the Internet or whatever. But she said, please, tell him I said hello. Please tell him I said thank you, right? That's got to be humbling, right, when, when a parent – that's had that's paid this awful price reaches out to you and and just says thank you yes sure is sure is one thing i want to say about that is and this was really touching to me I, I expected the documentary to do well i didn't expect it to explode pretty much the way it is but i've gotten hundreds i really think thousands of comments back and, and many of them tell me their stories of losing their, their children and their grandchildren and their brother and their mother and their father and and, and almost all of them are patting me on the back, and, 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 and that's, that's good. But I had a couple calls that really, really shocked me, and it was, it was parents that called, and, and I say called. They either reached through me through Facebook or they reached me through email. Uh, not many of them actually directly called me, but the, uh, I had communication with them. And what a couple of them actually said was really touching. It, they said that, you know, you bared your soul to all of us, and we saw the pain. And you know, I haven't been able to talk about my son or my daughter. You know, I think like the stigma just caused people when they lost their kids to try to almost ignore that they lost their kids to drugs. And one of them said, you like took the chains off of me. I have my son back. And, and more than anything that, that really, really uh, inspired me, touched me, you know. Mm. 
that that maybe maybe it is allowing people to talk about this more and uh, and open up about the ones that lost their kids. Now many of many are very vocal to begin with, okay, but there are many many that are in the back room and uh, haven't found a way to talk about it. So we're speaking for them, and maybe mm-hmm. them out of their shell and they can participate in helping us make change. Wow, you know, um, with with those words. Where I really love to start this conversation is, uh, is to talk to you about your son, Danny, right? I want to know more about him. I want to know more. See, the thing, I think what happens in my experience, what's happened with a lot of people um, that have paid this awful price is that um, it's a bunch of different things, but I feel like I do a lot of events and we speak and, and I never show my film on addiction without a parent there to share their story that has paid this awful price. And I always feel like people are nervous to come up to them and talk to them about their child. They'll talk to them about the problem. They'll talk to them about maybe what, what would be a solution or what do you, but, but they shy away from specifically talking to them about their child. Right. And, um, like this, they do this not only for their child, but for every person's child, right? That maybe their situation will be different. Maybe I'll say or do something that will help somebody along the way to make a different decision or a different choice about their life. And, um, but I always encourage folks, please come speak to people, ask them about their child. That's why they're doing this, right? That's why this is being done in their honor and in their memory. So if you could, just, just tell us a little bit about Danny. Tell us about the kid that he was, the relationship that you have. Sure. Uh, this is another one of the bright spots. There's many bright spots to what happened with this docuseries. But even myself now, my son's situation, you know, he, he died at, you might say, the worst moment of his life. Uh, he was a great kid, didn't have a, a detention was not a fighter. He was a mediator. He was a peace-loving kid. Almost, I, I, as he got older, I called him a peacenik. He loved the Beatles, okay? He wore peace signs. Every time his friends would leave the room, the way he would uh, uh, say goodbye was peace, brother, something like that. Mm. So he had that kind of a, a affectionate situation. But, you know, then all of a sudden he dies as a drug addict, okay? And, and, even for me, and naturally, my initial reaction, uh, like, you know, was I almost wanted to kill ourselves, to be quite honest with you. The, the stigma and all of being so surprised that he not only is dead, but that he's he was a drug addict, okay, in a sense. Okay? And so that was tough. But what, what this docuseries has done, too, is I've gotten so many positive comments about my son. Uh, fortunately, we had a lot of video of when he was a child and when he was growing up, and uh, and they, they just fell in love with my boy, okay? And so rather than, rather than this tarnish him, like some people said, well, geez, I mean, you want to you wanna point him out as being a lost kid to drugs? Well, I'm not sure I, I wanted to. I felt an obligation to. But now I'm glad I did because not only am I sending a message, but, but people fell in love with my son, mm. you know? And it's crazy too. I think I've sent you a few, uh, uh, Jim. The uh, he he had he wrote a lot, uh, and 
Prior to his death, I didn't know about that. And, uh, and now I have these writings, and these writings are really deep for a 17 or 18-year-old boy to be writing these things. And so, but let me, let me start off again, I guess, a little bit when he, was, when he was younger, when he was born, okay, before we get to his tragedy in his later years. Sure. He, got, he was a beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby boy, okay, our first child. Uh, we had waited a good while. I, uh, I did things right, you might, so to speak. You know, I got married when I was about 21, but uh, I went to pharmacy school and I waited till I was finished pharmacy school before we uh, decided to have a child. So he, we were married about five years before we had our son. And so he was a joy. We were, it was a long wait. And we did it so that we could provide better for him. You know, we, you know, we, fortunately we had good uh, self-restraint, you might say. And, uh, but anyway, he was a, a gorgeous kid. He had a few little issues. He had his little feet were turned in. He had to wear braces for a while, you know. And and, and when he got, he was, the way his birthday fell, he got into school kind of early. So he was a little younger than most of the kids. And his, his very first year, he had a little difficulty. And uh, it was mainly a maturity thing. Okay, So for a little while, the, he was like in special ed. And uh, he eventually worked his way out of special ed. But uh he was, you know, back to his personality, though, he was, he was, he would play a little practical jokes almost. And one of his phrases was, just kidding, dad, or just kidding, sister. You know, he would make a little joke and try to act serious and might strike a person. So then he was, oh, just kidding, just kidding. And, but he was also a little bit of a, called dad devil, but he, you know, he would do little games like when we go on vacation, uh, his mom would always get scared if he went like to the edge of a rock or the edge of a cliff, or he walked out in a stream and, and, and stood on a rock. I think some of that's in the video that that's in the docuseries mm. and he, he would do it in, to, to make her anxious. Okay. And so he was playful like that though. So, uh, uh, you know, it just, you know, as he, as he grew older, you know, dad and him had, uh, occasional, uh, uh, differences okay uh uh he well, let me do this first too though i'm gonna i'm gonna show you uh something that i'm kind of proud of i took this picture when he was a, a little boy maybe two years old and i was actually becoming like a semi i'm gonna call it semi-professional photographer <laughs> and it's, it's him looking up at the light and i like to think of that now because uh, uh picture him as sort of an angel you know I, I know we go overboard when we lose somebody but uh he was a special kid and and i think uh, that we're going to do some special things in his memory and so that's when he was a, a little baby and then the uh the uh this is him he had a really close relationship with his sister and that's him hugging his sister and uh, I had a sister, and we used to fight like cats and dogs, which is, that's okay. That's okay. It's strange. They really didn't fight that much. He was very protective of her, and uh, I'm not saying that the little teasing didn't go on, but uh, it was unusual that he didn't fight the way I fought with my sister, okay? Although I love my sister. And so, you know, back to him growing up now, we, we've, we've seen a couple stages of him. Uh, as he got a little older now, he came up in a generation of, uh, and I did a lot of study after he died, but the truth is he came up in a generation where a lot of people were doing drugs. Or, you know, he had some cousins that were doing drugs. And, when, and, and most of the time back then, it was just marijuana, okay? 
uh, and but but you know, I guess I was a real nerd. Uh, I, I I I never even smoked marijuana. Okay, I was tempted to. I would have to say it was a fear of getting caught and not being able to become a pharmacist that it might ruin my career. Uh, uh, and uh, so I held back. Uh, I would have liked to have tried it, to be quite honest with you, but but I didn't. But a lot of my friends did, and in, in his generation, even more so. When, when I came from high school, where we were at, there was no marijuana. The, the worst thing that happened was a kid smoked a cigarette in the bathroom. Okay. Now, I know a few years after that, things changed. And in fact, when my son came up, you know, there were kids smoking marijuana in the bathroom and maybe selling joints in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so he was confronted with that. Then, you know, I sat him down one time and a number of times I had discussions with him about drugs. In fact, when he was fairly young, he did a project on uh, why not to do drugs. I, I still have his project. Mm. And his project was basically don't take a wrong step. Okay. And, uh, and he talked about smoking, don't smoke cigarettes, don't do drugs, you know, all the things that, you know, dare teaches youngsters and, and, and it worked for him at that stage in his life before he grew independence and exploring, you know, well, when he grew a little older though, he started, uh, you know, I found out that he maybe had started smoking marijuana and I sat down one day with him and I asked him, I said, you know, I asked him not to. I particularly asked him not to at our house. Okay, I knew I couldn't stop him completely, but I said, I, I don't want you getting arrested in my house. You know, I guess mainly because it would have been embarrassing. Okay, I'm a pharmacist. We got a, I've got a position in the community and so on and so forth. So uh, I don't think he really honored that. I think he did smoke in the house. Maybe when I wasn't there, but but needless to say. I sat down with him one day and I talked about smoking marijuana and uh, he said, well, dad, you know, everybody does it. And, and, and I said, well, Danny, that's, that's not quite true. He said, well, you know, he says, you know, he named a couple of his cousins that did it. And I was semi aware, but he hit me right in the face with it. Okay. And then uh, he talked about one of my, uh, I think it was my brother-in-law smoked marijuana. Okay. And then I said, well, what about in your class, Danny? And he's in middle school. And he said, well, he said, uh, uh, I think half of the kids in middle school. Now he's like in seventh grade or something. Okay. I almost didn't want to believe him. I now know he wasn't far from wrong. Okay. It was all around him and it didn't seem bad or wrong. Uh, he loved the Beatles, uh, all the music groups he loved and they, they, they had food around with different drugs. So, but I asked him one time, I said, Danny, why, why did the first time you did marijuana, how did, how did that happen? And he told me, he said, well, Danny, it's like this. He says, I really wanted to try it. I had a lot of influences around me. I wanted to try it, but I was really kind of afraid. And I'm not always afraid. I, I didn't really want to disappoint you. Okay. And he said, but then I was in school one time and I was talking to a buddy that, that smoked pretty regular. And I guess he was kind of teasing me that I didn't smoke. Okay. And, he, and, and, and so I told him, I said, well, you know, I might do it, but I'm afraid. I, I don't want to get caught. He says, well, well come on my house. My mom smokes with us. And, and, and you, know, you know, to come up in that kind of environment, I can understand now, had I been in his shoes, okay, I think I would have smoked back then if I'd have been at his age and it was all around me. A lot of influence. A lot of influence. A whole lot of influence. Absolutely. Yeah. So now, I, I don't know if I'm moving too fast, but I, I want to I get closer to uh, his tragedy, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, again, 
Well, I'll back up a little bit. When he was about 15, and me and him started having this a little bit of an antagonism, okay? And some of it was about drugs, but some of it was just about, you know, him showing his independence and me trying to be an authoritarian figure and whatnot. Right. So, you know, we had, a, I'm still saying we had a good, healthy relationship, but there was times there was tensions, okay? And so I, I invented a project. Well, really, I would have wanted to do it anyway. I love Mustangs, okay? And I finally, when I was about, I guess, 40 years of age, and he was about, let's say, 15, uh, I said, well, let me, let me buy a car and we'll do, do a car together. And so we bought a 66 Mustang and him and one of his good friends and I took the whole car apart, basically got it redone. Now we, we sent it out to the body shop for certain things. There was limits to what we could do, but we, right. we apart, put it back together and did a lot of work on it. And it really became a good father son project. And that car actually became his car and my car. Okay. And, uh, it was a good thing. And, uh, it was, it was, I still have the car and uh, I've offered, you know, people have offered me money for the car. And it, it really is a car that I'd say has almost no price for me. Mm. You know, I, you know, I may be buried in it to be quite honest with you. Okay. So it's, uh, it means a lot and it, it means more because he died. Okay. And, right. and then it also means a lot because now I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead now, I think and actually progress to near about maybe two years before his uh, demise, uh, he had a girlfriend that he had been going out with, and, and he broke up with this girlfriend, and uh, I went into a depression. He, by the way, he may have, at that point in time, I'm not totally sure, he may have experimented a little bit with more serious drugs when he was in this depressed state, or experimented or whatnot, okay? And uh, any of that, he... he, he he didn't really like country music. He was more into rock and maybe the Beatles and the Eagles and stuff like that, but he didn't like pure country. Although he did kind of like Garth Brooks, okay? Because Garth's sort of a rock country guy, okay? And so anyway, he, he calls me one day after he's in this period of time and he says, Dad, I want you to come listen to this song. And I said, oh, what is it? He says, what's well, a country song? I said, you want me to come listen to a country song? And I said, uh, he said, yeah, I do, Dad. He said, I want you to. And I went up in his room with him, and he plays me this song, and the song is called The Car. And it's by a guy named Jeff Carson, okay? And it's about a father and a son and the desire to get a Mustang and work on it together. Mm. It's already done, okay? And, of course, if you listen to the song, this father couldn't afford the car. Okay, and, and he worked a lot, but he couldn't afford it. But you know, the, the words kind of go like, you know, I, I, I wish we could, I wish we could work on this car together. I wish I could afford it, but I can't. And you know, and it's not just the car; it's the time we would spend together. So it really defined what me and him had went through. Okay, but then the course of the song, the daddy grows old, the son separates, and and you know, distance goes by, and then eventually the daddy dies. Okay. And the son goes to the funeral, out of state, I think, and goes to him, and he goes to the funeral home, and the funeral director handles, hands him an envelope. And when he opens the envelope, it's a set of keys. It says, here's your car, son. I hope it flies. He had bought his son the Mustang. Mm. And so me and my son teared up. And, uh, but the good part of the story is we had time together. 
not enough. We got to build the call and we had maybe three, four, five years together with the call. So it's not quite as much a tearjerker as, as it seems. Uh, uh, I would love to have a lot more time than that, but, but it shows you the sentimentality of my son. Okay. And yes, the that we had together. Okay. Even though there were times there were tensions. Okay. Now we're getting a lot closer to his demise. Okay. Weeks before his demise, we saw some signs and I took it to be that his drug use was increasing on marijuana. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why I, at that time, I couldn't think beyond that. I'd already preached to him, look, okay, um, I didn't tell him yes to marijuana, but I wound up saying something like this. I said, son, I don't want you doing it. I don't want you doing it in the house. Uh, but if you do it, you know, uh, make sure you don't go any further. Okay. And so I guess I was naive or blind, but I did not suspect serious drugs. Okay. And uh, so in any event, though, I did one day go up to him because we, we saw him do a few things that was odd. He like, he locked this uh, truck a couple times with his keys in it. And that was, un it sounds minor, but it was unusual, okay? And then one time I caught him in a lie and he rarely lied to me, okay? And I caught him in a lie. And, and I went to him in his bedroom and I said, son, I said, what's going on? I said, are you doing drugs? He says, no, dad. I said, I can have you tested. He said, go ahead. And uh, of course, that he disarmed me, so I didn't have him tested. But I will say this, I had had him tested once a year or two before when I had some suspicions, and he passed the test. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> crazy, I don't know how or why, or maybe he was clean at that period. No, okay, but anyway, back to his depression, he said, I said, but Danny, something's going on. And he said, uh, yeah, Dad, I'm depressed. And I, I had... I had a, a, an aunt that lived not far away from me who had a neighbor of hers commit suicide, a young man commit suicide. And that was on my mind. So when he said he was depressed, I said, you know, you're not suicidal. And this is a gift that we got, okay? Because he said, no, dad, I'm, 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 I'm not doing drugs, okay? I'm depressed and, I said, and I'm not suicidal. Dad, I got great parents. You have done a job with me. Now, who gets that kind of gift, okay? This is maybe a week before he dies, okay? And, and, he, and, he, and, he, and I got a new truck, and I got a great girlfriend, and he says, but I'm really, I'm really kind of struggling right now with what I want to be, okay? Uh, I, uh, and I think he had high aspirations, and he wasn't a great student. Uh, he did excel in English, which I didn't make a – a big enough note of that at the time, okay? Uh, uh, I, I, I knew it was a bright spot, but it seems he had a talent that I didn't really fully understand, that I sort of regret now, but in any event, he, he uh, I, I kind of disarmed him a little bit. I, I knew what he, he'd asked me questions about how much I made and how much people make, and I could tell, you know, he wanted to do as well as his dad did or maybe better, okay? And these kids get that kind of pressure on them, okay? And I, I Fortunately, I was on to that, and I said, look, Danny, I said, look, hey, take it easy. You want to be an architect. Okay? Maybe you're shooting too high right now. Be a draftsman. Okay? Finish your, your drafting work. Okay? If you can go further, great. That would be a great job for you, Danny. Look, hey, look, I don't care if you drive a, a, a beer truck or a, a beer truck or you a mailman. Okay? 
as long as you work and you try to do the best you can, uh, your dad's happy with that. That seemed to give him a great deal of peace. In fact, uh, like a day later, he came downstairs and he, he told his mom and me, hey, Dad, you know, I really appreciated that discussion with you. And I, uh, uh, I feel better. In fact, I'm, I'm going to take you up on, I'm going to focus on drafting. And then, like the next day, he's, he's walking upstairs. We got an upstairs house, and I'm downstairs. And he says, oh, Dad, I wanted to tell you something else. He says, I told you I'm going to focus on drafting, but I want to let you know, Dad, I, I want to be, I want to do some writing, okay? Uh, maybe part-time, he said, but that's something I like to do. I said, fine. He says, there's one other thing, Dad, I want to do. I'd like to do something to discourage kids from doing drugs. It's crazy, Jim, but but that really, all these things disarmed me. When he told me depression, I was relieved. It wasn't drugs, okay? Now he's telling me, he, I'm saying this kid gets it. In reality, he was trapped. It's sad that he could not tell me, and I feel horrible about that, because the relationship we had, he could have, okay? Of course, I'd have gotten a little bad, okay? And I, I think his pride... I think his pride, he, he, he didn't want to go to dad and say, look, dad, hey, I'm sorry, but I fell in the trap you told me to avoid. I had to figure this out on my own after, but when I put the pieces of the puzzle together, it fits. And so, but that also has driven me ever since to do something, one of his requests that he didn't get to fulfill. So that's another, and it also shows the kind of kid he was, okay? Uh, So any of that, uh, now, story gets even sadder. The day, so he's doing, he's doing better, okay? He, he, I had told him to make a list to do. After he dies, I find the list. I'd always told him to make a list of things to do. After he's dead, I find the list. He had never made a list before. The, the weekend before he died, he, he went and cut my aunt's grass. She'd been asking him for three weeks. He went out and did that, okay? And, and now we're looking at the day, the night that he goes out. 